even in emergency situation, the, the data privacy rules uh, should be respected. The use of these technologies to trace the people go beyond uh, what we want to, to see in Europe. We definitely will not go Chinese or Israeli way. The European Union has not treated us well. Stupid European elites jumping off the cliffs once again. Yes, you are the guilty people and you refuse to accept it. This is EU Scream, the progressive politics podcast from Brussels, in association with EU Observer. I'm James, a journalist who's crisscrossed Europe for 15 years now. In this episode... Hello, here is Vera. Hello. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yes, all fine. (laughs) That's Vera Yorova, the Czech politician who's vice president for values and transparency for the European Commission. She was named as among the 100 most influential people of 2019 by Time magazine for helping pass GDPR, the rules protecting Europeans' personal data. That was in her prior role as Justice Commissioner. The COVID-19 crisis has given a special urgency to her new job, which includes responsibility for upholding democracy and countering the disinformation that clogs our news feeds. In the following interview, Yorova says Brussels will vet moves in Hungary to give Prime Minister Viktor Orban scope to rule by decree. She urges Facebook and Google to push official health advice to WhatsApp and YouTube. And she pledges to help safeguard the rights of Europeans if their mobile devices are used to track movements and enforce quarantines. We begin with a discussion about how the coronavirus has highlighted some of the persistent differences between Europeans. There's been such a wide variety of responses to the pandemic across European cultures, from the laissez-faire approach in Sweden and in the UK to early and semi-mandatory use of face masks in parts of Eastern Europe. Why do you think there are such different responses, particularly between Eastern and Western Europe? This is a serious crisis. And of course, it reveals some of the cultural differences and the the way we use the legislation. We saw it more in the Central and Eastern Europe that these states were quicker and didn't hesitate too much to come with some restrictive measures uh, which limited the freedom of movement and many other related things. These are the measures which we saw in the West to be taken slower and later. I'm just an observer of what's happening, and I would say that simply in, in the Eastern states, the people are a little bit more willing to respect such a regime and to give up the freedoms, of course, for a time-limited period. And in the West, we saw more carefulness of the government and of the legislators to come with uh, very strict regimes. I have the sense that a lot of people in Eastern Europe feel that Western Europe doesn't give them enough credit for being able to handle certain issues in society, and crises may be one of those. 
Well, indeed, I think that there is some some kind of uh, lack of uh, mutual understanding uh, of these factors in the East, and it's my private theory, and maybe I am wrong, but my my view on why we came earlier with these uh, uh, strict measures is the fact that not too long ago we went through different crises. I remember the Russian uh, Soviet Union invasion into the country. Then we went through a totalitarian era when the freedoms were very limited. And I, I think that with this relatively fresh memory of bad times and of some crisis, we still have this, this instinct which we have in our DNA to act earlier when we see the crisis approaching. Perhaps the prospect of hardship is not as terrifying as it is for people in relatively prosperous Western Europe. Is that part of it? I think that people in Eastern Europe are... Uh, no, I will not go into that <laughs> to say that there are more disciplined people than in the West, but uh, one could say so. When I, when I do interviews for the Czech media, I always wear the mask. Here in Brussels, I always wear the mask when I uh, when I am meeting people, because we uh, the Czechs were said by the government: if you wear the masks, you are protecting the others. Behave responsibly. Do that. Respect this rule. Uh, and uh, I don't see such sense of urgency in, in Brussels because I don't see so many people wearing masks and thus protecting the others. So uh, I don't want to criticize the country where I happily live already the sixth year, but uh, I see the difference. Let's talk about disinformation. And let me raise with you what many of our listeners will have found particularly disturbing. And that's how politicians like Italian far-right leader Matteo Salvini have been posting falsehoods to their accounts. For example, about how the virus was deliberately synthesized by the Chinese and insinuating that migrants are spreading the virus. I wanted to ask you, what are the most worrying examples of disinformation, uh, deliberate falsehoods, that you have seen on social media? The most dangerous disinformation from, uh, from my point of view is disinformation which might create uh, or incite panic and public harm in the sense of the harm to, to the health of people. This is one category. The other category of disinformation is the fake news which have the potential to incite hatred among people. And this might be directed to the minorities, to the migrants, especially when we are politicians. We should be extremely careful not to be at the beginning of some, some very harsh reactions which might appear in, in real life in this very tense moment. Now we live in times when the truth which is verified by the health authorities is of the essence, and the people have the right to have access to trustworthy information and to be informed through updated, authorized information by the 
authorities in the member states and by the World Health Organization. And they should have this when they open the platform they, they are used to, to use or when they open the traditional media outlets and the disinformation should be, should be minimized. Now, the European Commission has a reputation for being tough on the technology platforms like Facebook, Google, Twitter, and Microsoft. And yet, the Commission still allows these platforms to largely judge for themselves what kind of user content is acceptable. Now that we have a pandemic, there's still all kinds of garbage that is being posted. And that's particularly concerning as so many people are spending even more time online at home. So in light of that, do you think that binding regulation, that's to say regulation with teeth, beyond the current regime of co-regulation is coming faster in light of the pandemic? Definitely. I think that this year you will see uh, the proposal of the legislation uh, against uh, the illegal content, which is hate speech, which is terrorist content, child abuse uh, materials, and so on. On disinformation, we were always very careful not to come with the hard legislation which would in introduce some kind of censorship. And it, it remains uh, valid even now in the pandemic times. At this moment, of course, we, we are reflecting the, the current enhanced needs to act more decisively against the disinformation. Uh, so we are doing the following. Uh, we have an agreement with the platforms which you mentioned to give priority to authorized content. I had two hours debate with the platforms on how to improve that. Also, we spoke about the WhatsApps, where it's not so easy to introduce this prioritization of the authorized content. We, we spoke about the situation on YouTube and so on. You mentioned that you spoke with the technology executives about getting more verified, official, trustworthy health content uh, onto their platforms so people see it sooner. But you also said that there are difficulties making sure that that is served to WhatsApp and to YouTube. From YouTube, I, I heard a lot of uh, announcements about the improvements, how this system, which we agreed on uh, on the 3rd of March already, how, how it, it will work in an improved way. And uh, on, on WhatsApp, there, there is uh, also some plan or already done some, 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 uh, some improvement to get the, the narratives, uh, the, the trustworthy information into the, the system. So we, we don't want to to break to, to do the break uh, to, to break into the um, the, the private uh, conversations uh, of the people. Of course, uh, we are far from that. But uh, we want simply said to make the trustworthy content and the, the messages which bring updated information from authorized sources as available as possible in all the systems. If I hear you correctly. You still think that the answer to disinformation and its impact on our democracies lies not so much with the platforms, but still with society, with media and civil society. And yet, 
you yourself in the past have called Facebook a highway of hate. My Facebook account was simply a highway for hatred, yes. I said it when we had a very tense atmosphere in Europe, uh, the combination of migration wave and terrorism created a lot of angst in, in the society. And you can imagine my Facebook account, the account of somebody who is defender of the fundamental rights of, of all the people, including migrants and minorities. You can imagine the reactions of, of those who, whose hobby is to send the hate mails and hate messages. So I used my privilege and my freedom to cancel my Facebook account. Of course, uh, uh, Facebook is uh, used by politicians very intensively. We saw now in Italy, the Prime Minister Conte made his address to the nation through Facebook. He didn't use the public TV for that. It's not a criticism, it's just an illustration how far it went that Facebook seems to be inevitable a communication platform for the politicians. But I remain on not having a Facebook account and I try to use other tools, such as the debate with you, and thank you for that. Now, around a month ago, and I think it was the last time you spoke to the platforms, you called on those platforms that haven't yet signed up to the self-regulation code of practice to do so. There is still a gap in... uh, providing the the necessary data for the researchers because we want the researchers to have the access to data, aggregated data to to analyze where we are, what might be the, the best solutions, what might be the recommendations of the researchers towards the political sphere to, to make good decisions. So there is still some gap and we will have to discuss it further because the companies confirmed to me that there is some apprehension, some, some fear that by delivering the, the data to the researchers, they might be in breach with GDPR. So some clarification needs to be, to be done. Yes, we see more and more how our mobile phones, for instance, and our other devices could be turned into monitoring and biosurveillance devices to control the spread of infection. Slovakia is one of those member states that favors taking steps in that direction. The Czechs and the Poles could take similar steps. But this does hand a lot of power to both the public and private sectors to track and potentially even coerce our behavior. Can we expect a policy statement from you on this kind of biosurveillance? Well, first of all, my statement for you now is that we definitely will not go Chinese or Israeli way, where the use of these technologies to trace the people go beyond uh, what we want to, to see in Europe. Even in emergency situation, the the data privacy rules should be respected. What we uh, we have the data protection authorities in all the member states, which are, of course, paying uh, very high attention to these uh, novelties uh, which are introduced in different member states to solve the coronavirus and to to have uh, better tools to detect people with corona. Uh, so I want to see some basic safeguards also introduced in these systems. One of them is that the people must be aware of that. 
they have to give consent for being traced, if, if I can put it like that. The second thing is that uh, the data must be uh, retained only for a very short and limited time. I think it would be very useful if uh, the data protection authorities will, will uh, issue some guidance on how far these system could, uh, systems could go. But certainly you can use your prominence to uh, push the data protection authorities in that direction. And I think that's what you were just doing, if I, if I read you correctly. Yes, yes, we are, we are in contact with member states and with, with the authorities. And I am sure that the people will want to have their privacy and their, their, their freedom back after the emergency regime will, will, will be finished. So uh, we, we need to make sure that after the governments will do their job, and I admire what the governments are doing, I, I admire what the, the doctors and nurses and all the frontliners are doing, they have to do the job to protect the people's health. Now, the emergency regime, which enables them to do this, in a very operational manner, these emergency regimes will be stopped after the pandemic will be over and uh, then we will come back to the regime when the fundamental rights and, and all the freedoms uh, will be fully, fully uh, respected. When we discuss time-limited emergency powers, it's hard to discuss that without discussing the case of Hungary, where the coronavirus law would open the way to Prime Minister Viktor Orban ruling by decree and consolidating his power much further. Now, Commissioner Vaheli, your Hungarian colleague, said that criticism of the Hungarian law risks creating uh, another unnecessary crisis. May I ask, what is your view on the Hungarian coronavirus state of emergency law and the rule by decree plans? I, I discussed it at length with the Hungarian Minister of Justice, Madame Judith uh, Varga, and uh, she asked me about the position of the Commission, uh, and I said that we will act objectively and fairly, and uh, we will assess the new law after it is adopted, and we will compare the Hungarian law with other member states' uh, emergency laws uh, which have already been enacted and which are functioning. And on a specific Hungarian law, we have concerns about the time limit and also about criminal law uh, provisions. But I have to tell you, we also see Hungary being in the emergency situation. So it is the decision of the Hungarian authorities to launch the emergency regime or to prolong it, because in their system it's, it can be done only for 15 days. And obviously, this crisis will last much longer. So it is their uh, prerogative to uh, adopt a law uh, which will launch this emergency regime. And uh, we, we will assess the law after it, is, it will be uh, adopted. We have an expression in English which is closing the stable door after the horse has bolted. If the law goes through, it's a little bit hard to undo it. So isn't isn't this the time to speak out and to even launch a procedure if there are indeed concerns about the criminal elements and about the time limits or the lack of time limits? Uh, 
Indeed, even in emergency times, we are not uh, putting into question the basic principles like rule of law and the balance of powers and fundamental rights. And we'll uh, make a, uh, an assessment whether they are compliant with the EU standards. And I don't have at this moment any chance to stop the legislative process in Hungary. And we have never done it before. We, we can use diplomacy. That's why I spoke to the Hungarian Minister of Justice. Uh, I also repeated to her that it's the right of a Hungarian uh, uh, parliament to adopt the law which uh, will introduce emergency regime. And we will objectively assess the law after it is adopted and again compare this regime with other member states' regimes. When it comes to Poland, it's been reported that European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen last year demanded that you ease back on Poland and the way that the government in Warsaw has been undermining the judiciary and therefore undermining the rule of law there. It's also been reported that you tried to resist President von der Leyen's request Is that why there hasn't been a new infringement action to defend the rule of law in Poland yet? I have to deny sharply there was never such a request. Ursula von der Leyen wants us to continue the legal procedures where necessary. This is also the case of the recent law. We we are still discussing in the Commission about the scope of the possible infringement procedure, and we we still need time on that. But such a request never came to me. What Ursula von der Leyen wants us to do is to continue the legal procedures to fulfill our obligation to act in case we see some law being in breach with EU legal regime, but to open the dialogue with Poland and also with Hungary on what might be the possibilities to improve uh, not only the communication, but also the things which we see problematic in both member states. I think that on this, uh, Ursula von der Leyen wants us to open a new chapter and to see things freshly, to also to make an assessment of what happened in the last few years in Poland and what was the impact of the reform in in reality and so on. I can only tell you that in Poland I stand very firmly behind the Polish judges who are in a problematic situation due to the disciplinary regime and we will take action when, when it's due time. Another question on democracy. There were expectations that the European Commission would start sending out questionnaires about the rule of law to various groups about all the member states. Given the coronavirus crisis, is that effort to assess member states and to gauge their compliance with rule of law still going to happen on time? Well, look, uh, the rule of law is a principle which has to survive coronavirus crisis. So we, uh, we continue working on this rule of law first review, which indeed should be published in autumn. Uh, at this moment, we don't see much delay. Uh, there are four topics to be covered by this review. One is the situation of judiciary, the other the institutional uh, system and checks and balances. 
the third chapter should be about anti-corruption fight and the fourth chapter is about the situation of media as protector or defender of democracy in, in the member states. And these are all very relevant principles which we have to see maintained and enhanced even in Corona times. You know, I, I, I knew you from the last commission, so I think I'm in a, a good position to say this. You have achieved a lot in Brussels already with, with the steps towards building the European Public Prosecutor's Office, uh, of course, the implementation of the GDPR rules to protect personal data, and there was your role in shaping the Privacy Shield Agreement with the United States. Given all of that, there is speculation, both in Prague and in Brussels, that you could run in the 2023 elections for the Czech presidency. What do you say? My God, didn't we speak about the distribution of fake news? This is one of them. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't plan uh, any any campaign. I would love to come back one day to my country and to do something useful. To be the Czech president, it's extremely useful job. (laughs) Especially if the person is connecting people and increasing also the good reputation of the country. So I think that's extremely responsible job. It's not uh, in my diary for 2023. (laughs) What are you reading or perhaps even rereading during lockdown? What might you recommend as these days of social distancing and confinement start stretching into sort of weeks and months? Uh, what's the recommendation? So I have some Czech books. Uh, I have Kafka, which is not very, very light reading, but also some Kundera, also some uh, easy reading of some Czech authors, which helped me to forget about the, the current issue. I am still reading Marlene Albright and her book Fascism, which, which I read with uh, a pen in my hand because I, I take notes and uh, this is my way of reading this, this kind of literature. What is it about that book that keeps your pen in your hand or your pencil in your hand as you're reading it? I spoke to Marilyn Albright last year when I was in Washington. And she told me, many people asked me why I want to write about fascism, which is the old story. And she said, it's not an old story at all. It's a very current story. And uh, we already now see again the tendencies in in different places on on the globe. And she comes with very interesting analysis of the roots of the beginning of fascism in the 30s. She compares this with the current situation and current tendencies. It's not enough to say and to declare uh, and to be very pathetic about repeating the sentence that it must not happen again. We have to proactively work against these tendencies. I was in in Auschwitz in January when uh, one of the survivors, Marian Turski, he didn't speak at all about the things which happened 80 years ago. He spoke about what's happening now. And I don't want to add an, any uh, uh, further ap- apocalyptic vision. We have enough with corona now, but we must not forget that these are very dangerous tendencies and we have to be very vigilant. Three, 
That's EU Scream for this week. You can check our website at euscream.com for links to topics discussed in the show and for more episodes. EU Scream is edited and mixed by me, James Cantor. Tom Brooks and I produce the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.